Good to see you guys. So uh, we had a baby, so it was gone for a little bit. Um, good to be, you know, good to be back up. But uh, um, I'm so sad that I missed S with share your story in the bless. You know, like I was like really looking forward to like preaching that and to being here. Um, so, uh, but I heard that it was awesome. Uh, just want to always keep that before us, you know, that though we're moving on and we're in the Sermon on the Mount, and I know we talked about prayer last week, uh, I just want to continue to keep it, the bless in front of us, right? That this is the theme that God has given us this year, and this is uh, that each week I want us to ask, how is God using us to bless others, right? How is it God has blessed you? You know, not because we're not simply just to... to, um, to be blessers, but we are to receive the blessing of God, right? I mean, we first receive God's blessing in order that we might reflect it. You know, and for me, it's looked like, um, you know, this week I was off with uh, uh, paternity leave, you know, I was kind of prepping, doing a little bit of work, but mostly at home, kind of with a baby, trading sleepless nights. And uh, and in the meantime, I was trying to get our back fence ready, you know, because um, Irma was like six months ago, and I'm like, all right, this is like my, my window of opportunity. And so was uh, was took down our back fence and uh, got to know uh, our next-door neighbor that was behind there. You know, amazing what happens when you don't have a fence up. You actually know people. Um, and so uh, started talking and just realized very quickly that the Lord had given me favor. And, and though um, the opportunity to share the gospel wasn't at that point, the Lord reminded me that the first part in that was prayer and that I needed to listen. And so it was really awesome because um, it's always, for me, it's always the balance of like, I want to listen, but I need to work also. Like time is valuable. So like, you know, like I want, and so it was really a great mixture of where I just asked questions and listened and was able to do posts. And so it was this perfect combination of just learning and getting to listen to his story and just praying and asking that God would intercede, you know, and, and, and praying for my neighbor and realizing, you know, sometimes we miss it, but those are the opportunities. You know, like sometimes we're so busy and I can be so busy and just be like, oh, I got to go, I got to do this, you know, I got to do that. And just realizing, man, inviting people into our normal activities, you know, and just to the normal daily rhythms, though it might add more, it might seem to, man, that's the moments where God works. And so, you know, I know that God wants to use each and every one of us in the ordinary, the mundane ways, but to be a blessing to others. And so just, just ask, you know, who has blessed you this week? You know, and who is it that God wants to use you to be a blessing, to pray for, to listen to, to invite into your home or to the stranger that he wants you to make a friend? You know, who is it that he would equip you to serve or that he might have you to share your story with? You know, I always want us to be thinking about that. So with that, I want to now transition and we are going to be in the Sermon on the Mount. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 6. And uh, we're going to be talking about something that is uh, not talked about very often, uh, but I'm excited to talk about. So as you turn there, we're going to be in, uh, in Matthew 6 verses 16 uh, through 18. And uh, before we do that, I want to give a little bit of context of the Sermon on the Mount, because it's been a little bit since we've been in there. Um, and so the Sermon on the Mount is, uh, is really talking about a king and his kingdom. And so what I mean by that is that if we don't understand the identity of the one who is preaching the sermon, then we miss the sermon. Right? If we don't understand who Jesus is in his relationship to the content that he's sharing, then the content becomes frivolous. It, it, it becomes empty. Right? And so what this means is that Jesus has come, 
and that he is the king. He is the one that is Lord over the entire universe. He is the creator, but come incarnate in flesh. And therefore, he has authority. And though he isn't seen as the king, right? He's the king in disguise. The king that no one sees or recognizes is the king. But he comes declaring this kingdom that he is bringing Right? And, and as any kingdom, right, we live in what would be a type of kingdom, America, right? I mean, this is a, a kingdom. We have certain ideals. We have certain ways and cultures and things like that. And it's, if you ever go to a different culture, you start realizing how different it is, right? You know, I've gone to Haiti. I've been over to Italy and Costa Rica, and all of them have their own kind of distinct cultures, right? Their own ways of doing things, sometimes their own peculiar foods, you know? And, uh, and so you start to realize your own culture and, and how it's different, you know, maybe how it's similar when you rub up against cultures or other kingdoms. And Jesus comes and he says, listen, I am a king and I come bringing a kingdom. And that kingdom, it looks different than the kingdom that you've been born naturally into. It looks different than the American kingdom than the American way of living and of thinking and of acting and of behaving. And he says that you, if you follow me, I'm going to make you a part of this kingdom that I'm going to refashion you and shape you from the inside out to be a part of this kingdom, that though you will physically live in another kingdom, you will be a part of the kingdom of heaven, be a part of the kingdom of God. And so he starts talking about this kingdom, right? He starts talking about what it means to live the blessed life, right? And it's not comfort. It's not your best life now. It's not happiness or financial prosperity, right? He, he talks about it as blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are those who have a pure heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. And so he talks about the blessed life, and it, it stands in stark contrast to what the American blessed life looks like. And he, he goes on throughout the sermon, and he begins to unpack who he is, right, in relation to the law. That, listen, you... I am the embodiment of the law. The law was a mere reflection of me. And I come to show that what the shadow was, I am the physical representation of it. And so he he unpacks this kingdom. And the question for you and me is, how are we going to relate to this? Because we can relate to Jesus Jesus in many ways. We can say, well, Jesus, you have some nice ideals and I, I like you, right? We can like Jesus, and that might be great, but Jesus says, listen, there's, there's no in-between. You can't just like me. That you, you love me and follow me, or you reject me and follow your own ways. And that's, that's what he is inviting us into, is that it's, he's inviting us to follow him into his kingdom. And that we will live for the king. And, and the way that this is marked is that we see if we're following the king by our lives. Right? I mean, our faith is going to change the way that you and I live. We can't say that we follow Christ and continue to do the same things. Right? It doesn't mean that we're perfect by any means, but it means that our life is going to be marked. It's going to be changed. Right? And Jesus says it like this. There, his kingdom is an upside-down kingdom right? where, where the last is first, where the humble are exalted, where the poor, they are rich in Christ. Where those that are weak find their strength, not in themselves, but in Jesus. And so we see Jesus talking about that this kingdom is upside down, and you and I only come into this kingdom by humbling ourselves, 
by realizing that we don't have our lives together, but we need him to put us together. And so we're talking about fasting today. And I think it's so appropriate because Jesus's kingdom is upside down, right? And fasting is really feasting. Fasting is the way that we grow and, and we feast upon Christ. And so just to get a little bit of the context of our immediate passage, Jesus has been talking, and starting in Matthew 6, he talks about three ideas, three concepts. He talks about giving, he talks about prayer, and he talks about fasting. And all of those are connected um, by Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Let's take it there. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Right? That theme, that is like the thesis of all three of these when he goes to talk about giving, when he's talking about prayer, and when he's talking about fasting, is that. He says, beware. He says, you are to practice your righteousness, right? That our righteousness is to be something that's practiced. It's not to be put on a shelf. It's not to be neglected. We don't practice our righteousness in our hearts, right? It's not, I mean, it's not like Simon says where, you, you know, you, you, you can't just say, well, I, I raise my hand in my heart, right? I mean, you have to actually do it, you know? And the same thing, our righteousness is something that is practiced. It's lived out. But he says, beware when you do this. Because he says in the Sermon Mount, we see that there's three distinct ways that people try to approach God, right? That there are those that approach God from a religious mindset, right? And this is what he's warning us with the Pharisees, is that they approach God as something that I need to do these things in order for God to be pleased with me. And really, the Pharisees weren't primarily concerned with God. They were concerned more with the praise of other people. They, the reason Jesus chides them so is that they lacked faith. Right? They weren't doing things because they believed that God exists and he was a reward of those that seek him. They were doing things because they believed that man exists and man is a reward of those that seek them. And so they did things in order to be seen by men and to please men. And, it, and Jesus warns that this is... This is no way to seek God because there will be a day where you will discover that God does exist, that he is real, and that you never sought him. And he says also there are, is another realm, uh, and that's irreligion. And that's where you say, well, listen, the whole giving, the whole prayer, the whole fasting thing, those are nice, and I might do those on occasion whenever I feel like it. You know, but I don't really feel like it that often, and so I don't do those things that often. Uh, but everything kind of revolves around how I feel, you know? Uh, and so, but Jesus loves me because he accepts me and therefore all of these things don't really matter. You know, they're not really important. They're not really vital. You know, you can kind of take them or leave them. Jesus doesn't believe that either. <laughs> because in all of these, he says, when you, when you, when you. These are things that he, he assumes that these are things that are going to happen in our lives. But the question is, why is it that they're happening why is it that we give? Why is it that we pray? Why is it that we fast? And so hopefully that set the context a little bit now for us to unpack Jesus' discussion about fasting. And so if we look in Matthew verse six or chapter 6, verse 16 through 18, let's read. Verse 16, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. 
and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So if there's a big idea, if there's something I think this passage is really teaching us that we can grab a hold of, it's that fasting is a form of feasting. Right? Fasting is a form of feasting and that we fast in order that we might draw near to Christ. We fast in order that we might draw near to Christ. And so we're going to follow just a real simple outline. We're going to ask, what is fasting? Why do we fast? And how can we put this into practice? How can we put it into practice? So first, what is, what is fasting? And there are two, I read a, a ton of articles and, uh, and two books that kind of talk through um, the start of one book and then a chapter from another, but Celebration of Discipline. And then Scott McKnight, if you haven't heard of him, he has a book over fasting that's, uh, that's also really good. And Foster uh, defines fasting as abstaining from food for spiritual purposes, right? Abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. Now, it, that can also be seen as there's what's called a, a partial fast, where you abstain from food, but you, you drink water and juice. There's a, more of a fuller fast, where you abstain from food and you drink water. And then there's what's called a total fast. And that's for a very limited time. And that's where you're abstaining from food and water. And that's to be done only on special occasions with supervision, because you can only live about three days without water. <laughs> so don't try that. Don't just say, hey, listen, you know, I mean, that that's something that's, that's a very serious, uh, a total fast. But it's, it's withholding from those things be, for spiritual purposes. Now, a lot of us have also heard of, well, listen, well, fasting isn't just from food, right? I mean, I can fast from lots of things. And most of them define fasting as a little bit unique than that. Fasting in the Bible is seen almost solely with regards to food. Now, there's also what is called abstaining, right? And that, and that could be seen as a subset of fasting, and abstaining is, is the same idea, is that we are withholding from something that is good, right? Because food is something that is good, right? God gave us food, and amen, food is good. Praise the Lord, right? I'm thankful that, that fasting is not like the norm that we don't fast six out of seven days and eat one, you know? Like, and so food is good. God's given it for nourishment and for our enjoyment. But, but there are times where we set aside that good gift, why? Because there's something better. There's something better than that. And so, too, there are times in our life where God might call you to set aside television, entertainment. God might call you to set aside a certain hobby. God might call you to set aside, you know, a, a certain relationship for a season. There are all kinds of different things. I mean, even within marriage, you see Paul says it. Paul says that there are times where married couples should withstand from sexual relations in order that they might devote themselves to prayer and fasting right? But not too long. Come back together. And so there, and there are times where there is, are withholdings in order that you might seek something better. And it's oftentimes during these seasons where the Lord reveals, right? And, and abs, abstaining um, is usually from good things, you know, because the Lord always calls us to, to abstain from bad things, right? I mean, so, you know, if you're like, well, listen, I mean, think the Lord might call me to abstain from, like, my heroin use. Oh, I think, I know that. You don't have to guess about that. Like, I can tell you for sure Jesus is calling you to do that, you know? Like, there are, there are sinful habits and patterns that there's no doubt Jesus is calling you to let that go. He's calling you to fast permanently for the rest of your life from that, um, and so, but abstaining uh, is, is something where there are good things that are given for your enjoyment and, and by God's grace to be used, but he's calling you to put those aside for a season in order that you might meet with him, that you might be with him. 
McKnight uh, describes fasting, and I, I love his description because I think it's a little bit more nuanced. But he says, fasting is the natural, inevitable response of a person to a grievous, sacred moment in life. A grievous, sacred moment in life. Therefore, we are wrong to see fasting as a manipulative tool that guarantees results. It is instead a response. We do not fast to get something. We fast as a response. And if we receive something after or during the fast, it is because God has used the yearning in our heart expressed through the fast in order to grace us with more of his presence. And do you hear that? That's so good. What McKnight is saying is that fasting isn't a tool that we can use to manipulate God. We can't turn to God and say, God, look, I fasted these three days, so therefore you ought and deserve, I deserve, you give me what I want. You see, because what we're declaring in fasting is that we want him. We want more of his presence. We want more of his kingdom. We want his name. It's the prayer that Jesus prayed. You see, fasting and prayer go together. They, they're partners. You can't separate them. And so when we're fasting, we're begging God, God, would your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? God, would your name be hallowed? God, will your presence fill my life and fill my, my family and fill my relationships? We're inviting him in. It's a res- fasting is a response. And that's what I like so much is that you see it in Jesus' life, right? The Holy Spirit, you know, John pointed this out, and I thought this was so good, is that you see that this, in Bible study, the, the Spirit filled Jesus first and then led him into a season of fasting. It was a re- fasting was a response of the leading of the Holy Spirit. Is that It's God's grace in her life that overwhelms us. And as, as we sense God's grace in his leading, we fast in response because we want more. We, we desire him. He goes on to say, he says, that this, this response of fasting, that it can be an expression of repentance. It can be a response to a moment in which we feel most earnestly, uh, we must earnestly seek God. That it, it's a response to grief. Fasting can be a response of, to grief. That fasting can sometimes be a response to our need for spiritual discipline. Right? That some of us, we say, man, I'm, just, I'm so undisciplined, I don't even know where to begin. The Lord has often given fasting as a means to encourage discipline in our lives, to encourage us to say no to ourselves in order that we might say yes to God. A response to our corporate life together, right? There, there are times where we fast not privately, but corporately. Even a response to poverty and injustice. You see this in Isaiah 58. Man, I, Isaiah 58 is such a beautiful passage. And I really think that Jesus' teaching here directly correlates to that. You see the same thought. Is in Isaiah 58, you look at it in verses 3 through 12, is that it starts out with Isaiah warning the people, saying, you, you think this is a fast? A fast is simply externally put on sackcloth and ashes, and yet in the midst of your fast, you oppress people, and you fight amongst one another? This isn't a fast. This is a show. He says, this is the fast that I would desire, that you go and you fight injustice, that you fight against evil, that you fight against, impoverty, against poverty, that you, you are generous, that you open up your life and your home and you welcome people in. He goes, this is a fast that I desire. And then he talks about the results, that if you fast like this, then you will see my kingdom come. You'll see my will begin to be done on earth as it is in heaven. But fasting is, is all these... And, and fasting is primarily, it's, it's grief, it's mourning, and it's asking God to come. It's inviting God's presence in. 
So I wanted to look at uh, a couple examples. How do we see fasting in the Bible? Right? Where do we see it at? I think one of the premier ways we see it is uh, we see it with David. Right? So King David is, uh, is a man after God's own heart. And the period where we see David fasting is a period of his greatest weakness. And, and the moment of his most broken uh, example is that he, he has succumbed to his weakness. He's seen Bathsheba bathe on a roof and he's committed adultery with her and then killed her husband to cover up her pregnancy. And he's thought that he has gotten away with it. Right? I'm the king. I can cover it up. Nobody's da- going to dare defy me. But Nathaniel, the prophet, comes and he confronts David. He confronts David in his sin. He tells a parable that cuts David to the heart. And David is laid bare before God. And as, as recompense and as justice for his sin, um, the Lord takes his son in the womb. But David, during that period, he is broken and he fasts. He mourns his own sin and he fasts as inter- to intercede to God because he knows that fasting is the means to which he draws near to God. And so we see that fasting for David was one, it, fasting was an act of mourning of his own sin. He fasted because he was broken because the evil he had committed and where he had, had gone to. He fasted also because he knew that this would draw him near to God and that he desired that God would hear. And so he fasted to intercede in prayer. We see fasting also in the story of Nineveh, right? Where, where Jonah, who is probably the most reluctant prophet you have in the Old Testament, who like defies God and says, God, I don't want to go. He gets on a ship and basically almost kills everybody around him because he is disobedient to God. God puts him in, you know, a big fish and spits him up and, uh, and says, you're going to Nineveh, you know? And, uh, and so he goes to Nineveh and he, he proclaims, you know, uh, like, he hates it, but he proclaims forgiveness to him. He's like, listen, I want to proclaim judgment, but God won't let me. So I'm going to proclaim forgiveness. There's grace, but you need to repent, right? And the whole city, king and all, right? Even the animals, he, he's like, even the animals, they're all repenting, right? Everybody repents, and they do. They show the sign of their repentance. They show the sign of their mourning of sin by fasting. They withhold from food. Why? Because there's something more important than food at this moment. And that's seeking the face of God, showing earnestly that, that they desire him more than they desire their own bellies to be filled. Another example you see is Esther. Right? Esther is a, a Jewish queen who um, became a queen because uh, uh, King Xerxes uh, didn't like his wife's displeasure. His wife didn't come at his beckoning, and so he got really mad, and, uh, and uh, he decided, I'm going to have a new wife. And so he uh, surveyed and found favor with Esther. But uh, Mor- uh, Mordecai, who her uncle and uh, uh, Haman uh, was his right-hand man uh, of Xerxes. And Haman is, has this plot that he's going to kill the Jews. Right? And so uh, he, they find out, Esther and Mordecai, they find out that Haman is, is planning to kill the Jews. And they, they, they call all of their people, they call the whole, all the Jewish people to fast. Right? Why, why do they call this corporate fast? They call this corporate fast because they know that when God's people set aside food and they earnestly seek his face, that God hears. Right? And so they plead with God, and God shows them favor. And he, he opens up the king's heart to receive Esther to come into the throne room. And, so, and, she, and the, the king listens to her request. And the irony of the whole thing, right, the irony of Esther, is that while God's not mentioned, you see God's hand throughout the whole thing, his sovereignty operating in the reverse. 
right? The same gallow that Haman had made to, to put Mordecai on is now Haman's hanged on, <laughs> you know? And so you see this great reversal, and you can't help but think that one of the biggest parts of that is that is is the call for God's people to fast, that the change in the, in the climate in that nation was because God's people fasted and humbled themselves and saw his face. You see Jesus. Jesus shows us the example of the fast, Right? He's filled with the Holy Spirit after his baptism. And the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness. For 40 days he fasted. And then it says he was hungry. I bet. <laughs> 40 days of fasting, you're going to be hungry. <laughs> right? But he fasted for 40 days. Why? Why did Jesus fast? Jesus fasted, one, because he knew that it was preparation. It was preparation because he was going to face a spiritual attack. There might be times where God initiates a fast in your life because he's preparing you. He's preparing you because the enemy is demanded to sift you, because he wants to test you, and God is desiring to prepare you, that he wants to draw you near so that you won't succumb in the time of temptation. And this is what is true with Jesus, is that fasting for Jesus was a form of, of gaining strength. It, it drew him near the Father, and it, it guarded him, and so that when he was tested, he was found faithful, and he continued to quote back, you see this too later on in the Gospels where Jesus has been praying. He comes to his disciples and they couldn't cast out a demon, right? And, and they're like, why couldn't we cast out? Jesus cast out. He says, listen, this type can only be cast out by prayer and fasting. There might be things in your life that are not going to be overcome. There might be strongholds the enemy has that might not be overcome except by prayer and fasting. That God wants to liberate you. He wants to release you. He wants to bring deliverance in your life. But they might not be there until you set aside and you seek him. And there's deliverance. Sometimes it's found that way. The last example I want to talk about is Paul. Is that Paul fast? He's persecuting Christians. He's on the road to Damascus. And Jesus pops and blinds him, right? I mean, has a light, says, like, you're persecuting me. And Paul, for the next three days, fasts. I mean, he couldn't see. He just got his whole life transformed. It's usually a time where you're fasting. And so... Fasting, too, is, is something that happens when there's been great revelation, when there's been a great change in our life, right? When God has brought a change, then that time oftentimes can be brought by fasting as we're seeking discernment or we're seeking wisdom. I'm sure that's what Paul was doing. Is like, God, where do you want me to go? Like, my whole world's just been changed. Like, I had my whole life planned for next, you know, forever until I died. And now my entire life has changed directions. And you are you're, you're the resurrected Messiah, what am I to do? And so those three days, I'm sure, were spent fasting and seeking God for discernment and for wisdom. And so we see in each of these examples that prayer is this response to God's work in their lives and a cry for more. You know, I, I think one of the things that we also need to remember in fasting is that fasting is a declaration that we are not just a, a spirit. I think one of the reasons that we neglect fasting often in the West is that we have this duality, is that we think that we are spirit or body, and that we forget that Christianity teaches that we are a spirit and a body, and that the way that we treat our body, it affects our spirit. And the way that we treat our spirit, it affects our body, that they are one. And fasting declares that. It declares that we are one, right? That, that our, our mind, that our spirit, that they are bound and wrapped together. It's not that we just separate them. And God has brought these disciplines, brought fasting, because how we interact with our body, that it, it affects us. We can't just act like, well, and, and this is what the, the Gnostics believe is, listen, 
I'll do things in the spirit, but then like, you know, how I eat, how I treat other people, how I act sexually, all of that, that's my own business. What does Jesus have anything to do about that? Right? I mean, you can't act like that. How we treat our body has direct correlations to our spirit, and how we treat our spirit has direct correlations to our body. The two are intertwined. I mean, why do you think when your, your eternity is going to be spent in a resurrected body if you're a Christian? Right? I mean, we are going to be forever living in a brand new body. And so our body and our spirit are intertwined. So we've talked a little bit about what fasting is. Next, I want to talk about why do we fast? What's the purpose of fasting? Well, we know what the purpose isn't. Uh, And we see that Jesus starts out here. He says, beware, and he tells us why we shouldn't fast. And he says, we don't fast to be praised by men and to receive our reward from them. He calls them hypocrites, right? He says, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by by others. Now, what is a hypocrite, right? It's an actor. It was somebody that put a mask on, and they acted as if they were different. But isn't it ironic? Because how are they acting? They're actually fasting, and they look like they're fasting. So wouldn't you think, well, they're, they're not being hypocritical. They're just being real, right? I mean, if you're fasting, you should look like you're fasting. If you're not fasting, don't look like you're fasting. So why is Jesus telling them that they're hypocrites for looking like they're fasting? It's because the motive for fasting is what's hypocritical. That though they're actually fasting, you see, if they're fasting and if they were to be truly real, they should hang a sign around their neck and say, I'm fasting. But the reason that I'm fasting is that I would be seen by you people and that you people would think very highly of me. That's, that's what I really want at this moment in time. That would be truly transparent and that would be real. And so Jesus says, you're, you're being hypocritical because true fasting is fasting that is set apart. And he says that they've received their reward in full. Listen, isn't it so, so tempting and, and nothing satisfies our flesh than to be seen by other people and to be seen as someone that looks good, to be seen as someone that is revered as holy, that you have their act together. I mean, doesn't our, our flesh jump up a little when someone looks and say, man, look at them, like, man, they're, they've fasted, they've prayed, like, they're really diligent, they're holy people. There's part of us that jumps up when other people think well of us, when they, they bid us compliments, when they stroke our ego. And Jesus says, beware of this. And that oftentimes we, we do it in subtle ways. We might mention our giving, but just on the side. We might, you know, let it slip that we're fasting. And the question is, is what's our motive in these things? Because it says, you've received your reward. If that's what you really want, you might gain the praise of men. But God sees the heart. Being seen fasting isn't the problem right? I mean, so when we're fasting, it's not that no one can ever see us, right? So like when we fast, we have to lock ourselves in a closet. Nobody can ever see us. We have to lie to other people that we're fasting, you know, like, you look, are you fasting? No, I'm not fasting, right? I mean, then you just lied to compound it, so it doesn't really work. So the problem isn't being seen fasting. It's that you're fasting in order to be seen, right? That your motive in fasting is that other people would see you, you want other people to see you. You want other people to praise you. So why do we fast? We fast to be seen by God 
and to be rewarded by him. And this means that we live for an audience of one. That we live for God and for God alone. And this is, man, isn't this difficult at times? Because sometimes we don't see God. We don't, we don't see God, right? I mean, can't we physically touch him? And so we forget. And so it's easy to live for the here and now. It's easy to live for the people that we can see and that we can touch and that are right here. And so we get caught up and we forget to live for the one that made us. We forget to live for his pleasure, for his purpose. And so we fast. Why do we fast? The purpose for our fasting is that our fasting, it fuels our longing, right? It fuels our longing for God. It helps us to feast on him. Fasting reveals a physical reliance on food that points to the ultimate dependency, the fact that you're dependent on God for things far more important than food. Jesus in John 4, he's just had this amazing interaction with this woman at the well, right? And she has come to know who he is, and she's going back to tell her whole city. And his disciples come, and they've got food, right? They like went, and they got food. They're like, hey, all right, Jesus, we got some lunch. Like, let's break it. And he's like, I have food that you know nothing of. And they're kind of like, what? Uh, okay, don't know what you're talking about. We're probably going to eat. And Jesus Jesus says that there's something that is far more valuable than food that satisfies, that brings contentment into him as to do the Father's will. And it fuels his longing. And this is what fasting does, is that when we give up food for a season, it reminds us that we are dependent upon God for not just food, but for breath, for life, for things that are far more valuable than physical nourishment, because they're There's a time when we won't need food any longer, but there's never a time that we won't need God. And so fasting helps us to remember, and it fuels that longing for the things of of the Spirit, for the things that are not of this world. It says we fast in this life because we believe in the life to come. We don't have to get it all here and now because we have a promise that we will have it all in the coming age. We fast from what we can see and taste because we have tasted and seen the goodness of the invisible and infinite God. We are desperately hungry for more of him. Jesus talks about this fast in Matthew nine fourteen through 15. It says, Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding groom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. So what Jesus is saying here is saying, Listen, when I'm here, when Jesus comes back, no more fasting. Right? When Jesus comes back, there's a party. We're going to have wine and fine meats, and it's going to be great. Right? But until Jesus comes, we fast. He says that when we fast. And why? Because he says that fasting is a form of grieving, that we miss the one who was here and who will come again. We long for his presence. And so fasting is this response to grieving and wanting more of him. And we invite him to come in the midst of our fasting. We say, God, please come. Change our schools. Change our country. Change our lives. We want you. We need you. Come. So fasting fuels our longing for him. It helps us to want more of him. The next thing that we see is, why do we fast? We fast in order that we might kill idols. So one of the things that I've discovered, and, and people that have fasted far uh, 
more and, and have gotten further, way further than I have, have expressed it uh, more than I could. But when you fast, you start to realize the things that have control over you. Right? I mean, you see it. Uh, right now, we're beginning to put uh, the pacifier in baby Theo, and that is working for a little bit until you take the pacifier away. <laughs> And then he cries, right? He is not happy because that is the thing that soothes him, right? And so too, fasting is like that in some ways, right? Fasting is like taking the pacifier out of our mouth and we all of a sudden realize what it is that we use to soothe us, what it is that we use to comfort us, what it is that we use to satisfy and bring contentment into our lives. Then all of a sudden, you realize how much you use food as a comfort rather than God. How, how much you, found, you find pride in your righteous acts rather than God's grace. You find anger that boils down underneath. Jealousy, lust, greed. All of these things, they will begin to surface as you fast. Maybe not the first time. Maybe the first time you get through it and you think, I did pretty good. Didn't eat for a whole day. Woohoo! You know, but then you continue to fast and you, you, grow, you grow through that as you fast. And all of a sudden, there are deeper things that begin to surface. Don't you know that this is part of God's process to kill these things, to heal you? How else does God purify except by bringing the dross to the surface and then to scrape it off the top? And fasting is one of the ways in which we see the things that control us, the things that grab us. You know, one of the ones that I see, sugar, <laughs> right? I mean, things things that we uh, that we we have justified that we don't think are a big deal, right? I mean, is it, you see, you, if you fast for any length of time, you'll begin to see the, the things that you eat that maybe the Lord would have us not to. You know, we, we separate our body and our spirit, and we think, God doesn't really care what I eat. It doesn't matter. God cares how we steward our bodies. God cares how we take care of ourselves. And to act like that's irrelevant to God is, is foolish, just as God calls us to steward this world, God calls us to steward our bodies. Now, you can get extreme in that, you know, um, but, but it, there is a call for stewardship. And so one of the things I've seen is that I can be very addicted to sugar. I get, you know, a couple days in and like, man, head starts throbbing and the Lord real, reveals like how addicted and how dependent upon, I, uh, upon sugar uh, for, you know, satisfaction, for contentment. You know, oftentimes we eat because we have a compulsion for more sugar. Or how about coffee? right? Don't go there, <laughs> right? Don't go, don't do the coffee, man. Don't take my coffee from me, right? Uh, but but we, we see that also, is it, right? There are good things, right? And I think coffee can be a great thing, praise Jesus, for coffee at times, right? You know, um, but there are times where fasting might reveal that, that we are more dependent upon coffee for our energy, for our contentment. What, what really puts us in a peaceful mood isn't Jesus, it's just some Folgers, right? Just give me some coffee in the morning, and so, and, but, but those things are true, that what we really depend upon and, and what we are relying upon are these other things besides Christ. And they're good things, don't be wrong, but it's when we take these good things and we turn them into ultimate things. We turn them into things that control us, things that we depend upon. And so when coffee or when sugar or when anything else becomes something that we need, right, and that we have withdrawal symptoms because of, Maybe that's a sign that's probably not the best thing and that it maybe it has a little bit more control over us than we thought. Now, once again, these are they're good things. I'm not saying you can't have coffee, all right? 
Don't go back and say, Pastor Trevor said I can't. You can have coffee, all right? But just don't let coffee control you. Don't let sugar control you. Don't let lust, greed, pride, don't let these things control you. Let Jesus control you. And fasting is one way in which God wants to free us. He wants us to be set free in order that we be able to follow him. And we be able to love other people. We see Romans 8, 12 through 13. It says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. By the Spirit, God wants to put to death the deeds of the flesh in order that we might have life, freedom, joy. There's joy. And the longer you go on a fast, it's, there's more joy in it. They say, now depending upon how long you go, but there's a cleansing that happens. Physically, fasting is actually very good for the body, but your motive is, is spiritually, but there's a cleansing that happens of the body and of the mind, and it allows you to begin to focus more and be in tune more with Christ. But the Spirit often can use it to put to death at ease of the body. Philippians 3.19, it says, in Paul's warning here, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. If you go a day without food, you're not going to die. Your stomach might tell you you're dying, right? But your stomach can be a spoiled child. And so you don't, you don't acquiesce to spoiled children. You instead show them the way in which they ought to go. You help bring them into discipline. And so listen, I, I want to say up front, there are some that... that Fasting physically is not an option, right? Because whether it's diabetes, whether it's a, a, a physical you know, problem, and listen, that's okay. And if that's something, listen, if you're, if you're fasting and you know that that might be an issue, go talk to a doctor and see if that's okay. If not, there are other ways. Abstinence in different areas is, is perfectly okay. But for a lot of us, physically fasting is something that we can and should do. Jesus assumes it, and it will bring freedom and life into our relationship with Jesus and into the lives of those around us. When we fast and when we seek the Lord in that way, it doesn't just affect us. It has ramifications to other people as well. So as you fast, my question would be, what is it that your fasting reveals about you? What does it show has control over you more than Jesus? So the... The last thing that he talks about is that fasting before God is rewarded before God. What does it mean to be rewarded before God? Right? I mean, like I just talked about earlier that fasting is a response and that we can't like twist God's, you know, like thumb, like finger, like hand. We can't say, all right, God, like I got you. Like you're going to give me what I want now. And so why does Jesus say that it's going to be rewarded by God? Well, I think that we need to look at what does he mean that it's re- that when you are fasting for the praise of men, it's rewarded before men. Right, and what it is is that they get men's favor, they get men's a- a- approval. Right, they get they gain favor or relationship with men. But the the purpose is, is because there's no faith. Right, when the Pharisees fasted, there was there was no faith in their fasting. Right, Hebrews eleven six says, and without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those that seek him. Right? God exists, and he is a rewarder of those that seek him. And what is the reward for those that seek God? You see, the, the gospel says that the reward for those that seek him is him. God, Jesus came and he died on a cross for our sin. He resurrected again from the dead in order that when we place our faith in him, 
our relationship with God would be restored. It would be renewed. You see, that's what we lost. Eternal life, joy, peace, all of these things, everything that we so long for here on earth, right? everything that we so hunger for and desire for, whether it's in our jobs or our relationships and our families, what we're so hungering for is found in Christ. And and God is going to mend that when we place our faith in him. He begins to renew and heal that. And that is a reward, is that as we fast, we find that, that we are more sensitive to him, that we are more hungry and desirous of him, and that his presence begins to fill our lives more than it had previously. And so the reward is more of him. So we're going to conclude with just talking about how do we do this, right? How do we practically fast? And so my challenge for you is guess what? To fast. <laughs> so I, I, I want to challenge us to fast this week. Now, uh, the traditional Jewish fast is, and, and I've got um, five principles here that we're going to talk through very quickly, but start somewhere, okay? For some of you, are like, hey, listen, I've been fasting for a while. Praise Jesus. That's awesome. Continue doing that. For some of us, it's been a while. You know, like I have been, I have not fasted as frequently as I should have, and this was a very convicting sermon for me. So you can join me in fasting this week. Um, but start somewhere. The, the traditional Jewish fast was uh, sundown to sundown. And so they would miss a breakfast and a lunch. And that, that would be, and so it, you start small, right? I mean, you're not killing yourself, right? You, you just start somewhere and that you, you start there, but you also replace it, right? So the second one is that you, you plan what you're going to do instead of eating, okay? That's important, okay? Because if you don't plan what you're doing, then you're just a hungry Christian. You're not really fasting, okay? Like, listen, we don't need hungry Christians. We want fasting Christians, Okay, and so what that means is it means that instead of eating, you're intentionally doing something else, namely feasting upon Jesus. And so what that means is, is it means you have a plan during that time that you're hungry, you're intentionally being before God, okay? Because if you're like sitting there being like, I'm hungry, six o'clock, come. You know, like that's kind of missing the purpose of fasting. Um, and so during that time, why don't you instead pick out a portion of scripture where you are going to memorize or uh, pick a passage where you're going to meditate? Or maybe when we're thinking about bless, why don't you think about bless during your fast time? During that time where you would normally eat that, you know, 10, 15, 20, for me, it's like five, you know, period where you eat, you know, like, why don't you take that time and intentionally begin to pray? Maybe that's a time where you invite someone and you listen to them. Maybe you, you know, you serve someone during that time. But why don't you take that time and why don't you set it apart and intentionally ask God to come and fill that space and respond to him through his grace? So have a plan. The third thing is consider how it will affect others. So I said this earlier, but fasting doesn't, isn't just about us and the Lord. It's unto the Lord, but it affects other people. I mean, when you, when you read Isaiah 58, he talks about true fasting has social justice implications, right? So when you're truly fasting, you're going to, you're, it's going to affect how you love other people, right? It's going to affect serving others and being generous and being kind, all of these things. And so if you're fasting and you're like intentionally being evil to someone else, you shouldn't fast. You should just be nice. Like, just love them. You know, that would, that would be a good start. You know, and so fasting is, in, is intended to, to encourage us to be generous and to be kind and to serve other people. 
okay? If you're intentionally opposing other people, intentionally at odds with God and fasting, you're not fasting for God. You're fasting for yourself, and the other people would see you. And so consider how it's going to affect other people. And that's practically too, right? So like, it's probably not the best thing to plan a fast around like the family dinner time. You know, I mean, maybe try to plan a fast where you're maybe not going to, or, or you're, you know, you're notifying somebody else. Um, so uh, the fourth thing is trying different kinds of fasts, right? So the Bible talks about all kinds of different fasts. There are personal fasts. So that means that there are times where maybe you're fasting, and you're saying, listen, there's a stronghold in my life. There's sin that I can feel that is, uh, that is weighing me down, and I, I, want, I want freedom. And maybe that's why you seek God. Maybe that's why you fast for him this week. And others of you, maybe fasting is also a response of grief. You're grieved at what's going on within our nation. You look at the shootings. You look at um, the, just, the, just the, the, the despair, the fear. And you say, I want to fast because I, I want freedom. I want faith to overcome fear. And you fast on behalf of our nation. You know, maybe others of you, you know something's going on with someone you love or someone you care for, and you're fasting because you, you want to intercede for them. You want to fight for them before the, before the throne of God. And so you're fasting for them. And so there are different ways to fast, different purposes for fasting. It's not always about just you. But there's also corporate fasts. And it, there are going to be times where, and we ask you, um, when we we get together as elders, and when we seek God's will for the leading for the next year, we fast. And we want to invite you into those fasts as well. And there are going to be times where we might call upon us as a church to fast together, to seek God's presence, to seek his face and his will and his discernment for things. And we hope that you would join us in those communal fasts. And then the last thing is that it's also fast from something other than food, too. I mean, we've talked about this, but I know for me, one of the things that the Lord always frees me from is that I love fishing, man. Like, I love it, and it's a great gift from Jesus, but man, the Lord has to free me from it every once in a while because it takes a higher place than it should. You know, I'll find escape there. I'll find comfort there, and it's great. It's awesome, but there are seasons where the Lord just tells me, you need to, you need to take a break. You need to fast from this in order that you would come and you would approach it in a healthier way, and so, you know, for me, I know that that's one thing. I know that entertainment can be another thing. But there, there are times where there are good things. And so what is it that, that maybe is a good thing, but it's overrun its boundaries in your life? And God would call you to fast from it in order that it would be put in proper perspective, in order that he would be God and not it. So would you join me? We're going to pray and we're going to continue in worship as we prepare our hearts to take communion today. Father, we want you. We need you. And so we want to come and we just confess that there are many ways in which we haven't sought you, God, that we haven't fasted as we, we should because um, oftentimes our, our, our bellies are our gods and our minds are set in earthly things. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to grieve our own sin, that you would help us to grieve the, the, the sin of others and the, the pain of, of this nation, of this world, God, that we would uh, fight together through fasting, through begging that you would come, that you would, your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven, that your presence would descend, that your will would be done, your name would be hallowed. And so speak to us, Holy Spirit, move. And, uh, and I just pray, Lord, that we would put this into practice. We would be doers of your word and not simply hearers. And so just show us, Lord, um, what fasting looks like this week and, uh, and that we would, uh, we would do it together, God. 
that if we struggle, that we would invite other people into uh, into it, or that we might uh, do what we vow before you. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.